Here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Whoa, low energy this morning. Everybody just put your heads down, take a little nap. It's the only thing I remember about kindergarten or first grade is nap time. That's true. So, what are you going to do? All right, next week we're here, so we'll be here next week, but the following week, the 17th, we'll be off, so kind of make a little mental note. Because everybody needs a break once in a while. Jody, everybody needs a break once in a while. Needs a little time off. Do you? I, we can't do more than that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I had a couple of uh, questions. Do you have any more questions besides these? One I found on my desk, and I'm like, did I not forget about this? Did I forget about this and not bring this down? So sometimes things get lost. Good morning, friends. Full dispensation because you come so far. Oh, it's all, it's all, we'll, we'll figure it out. So here's the question. Um, even though my sins have been forgiven, why do they keep coming back to my mind and causing guilt, right? I do believe I was forgiven, but I'm still bothered by the sin that keeps coming back. Normal stuff, uh, but not necessary. So you have sins, they get forgiven, Jesus takes them away. It's, ba it's basic demonic temptation. Don't you remember when you said to your wife, don't you remember when you did, right? This is all, it comes to mind as a way to um, just sort of trip you up. So, you know, what do you do? You remind the devil that you've been forgiven. I've been to the Eucharist, I was forgiven. I went to baptism, I got forgiven. I've confessed my sins, I've gotten, I've gotten absolution, I've been forgiven. And uh, these things can actually turn into a strength. Occasionally you'll run across a prayer from somebody very wise. Usually it's an old woman or an old man who says something like, the memory of my sins is so horrible, I know I'll never do them again. And you see, so you can twist it and use it in that way. If your old sins come to mind, use them as a warning. Well, I'll never do that again, because I know how terrible that is. So just, you know, this is normal. This is the normal course of life. One of the penalty points for sinning is that, you know, they can, it can come back to haunt you but you don't need to let it. Jesus consoles you, takes those away, and tells you everything is okay. Jesus, remember we talked about the woman caught in adultery. Jesus doesn't think about her sins, so you shouldn't think about him either. Just it's kind of that simple. And if they do come, you can warn the devil that it's a dead end, and you can remind yourself not to do it again. Okay, so there you go. The other one was, other traditions pray for the saints and the deceased. How do we, you know, what do we do? What do Lutherans do? So this is a, you know, a tender topic because it's, it's too, it's so easy to overreact here. One of the things that, you know, I think I might have said this to you early on, we want to be defined by what we love and not by what we hate. And we want to be defined by what we are and not by what we're not. So you always say to a Lutheran, uh, you know, what do you believe about the Holy Supper? And often they answer, of a particular age, they go, well, not tr transubstantiation. You kind of go, that, I mean, okay. But even Luther wasn't that bothered by transubstantiation. Just if you want to know, you can check it in the Babylon Babylonian captivity in 1519. He just said, don't push me around. I got some other ways I want to think about this. So what do we think about the saints? First, we should be super grateful for them. After all, we do have All Saints Sunday. And you know our confessions say we, we hold them as models and we thank God that they made it through life 
uh, in such a holy way. The two places, uh, the, then things get a bit more, a bit more challenging. So, in terms, so let's do three things: praying to saints, praying about people who are deceased, and uh, praying to saints themselves. For people who have died, for us, things are pretty much settled. You know, while I, and I think I talked about this once or twice before, while, we, while there is a purgation, that is a great cleansing that happens when you go to heaven, after all, you wouldn't want to take your sins with you. That's in 1 Corinthians um, 2 and 3, right in there. Even though you don't want to take your sins with you, there is this time when you're cleansed. But whether there is this long period of time that lasts for thousands and ten thousands of years where people wait, it's actually kind of a comforting, it's actually kind of a comforting doctrine, actually, that people who must it up here, you know, sort of get a second chance. The hard thing is there's not a lot of biblical data for that, so we don't sort of embrace purgatory in that sense or praying for people, or praying people out of purgatory. So people who have died, you know, while, you know, while you pray that hell is empty and you pray that people, you know, are repentant, the Lord sorts that out. As I said to you earlier on, I've never said about one person there in hell. Uh, that's not my judgment to make. My judgment and yours is to pray and push everyone toward heaven. So in, in one sense, you know, but you can express any kind of anxiety you have about your mother or your aunt or your next door neighbor and you know what's happened to them. You can go ahead and pray about that all you like. In terms of praying to saints, this is a little more tricky. If I was in deep trouble, Elizabeth is a nice, nice friend and a great Christian, and I would say to Elizabeth, will you pray for me? And you do this all the time, right? The scriptures encourage you to do this. Ask your friends to pray for you. You do it all the time. I mean, it's just kind of normal reflex. Even at the altar tomorrow, we'll pray for each other. The question for Lutherans is more, you know, does, does such prayers get through? I mean, can people kind of on the other side hear you and go to work? Uh, Lutherans traditionally said no, so Lutherans traditionally don't pray, pray to saints in that sense. The place where you want to get nervous, and you should get nervous, and this is about anything, but it applies to saints as well, is anytime a saint infringes on what Jesus does. Now, you know from, you know, being in Bible study or being around, I'm quite a fan of the Blessed Virgin Mother. I mean, Jesus loved his mother, so I loved his mother. I love his mother. She's wonderful. However, uh, the nervousness always comes when we give Mary credit for what Jesus did. So the technical term is she becomes in some sense a co-redemptrix, that she and Jesus work it out together. Um, that's a danger point. And so, uh, you know, there's always the question about, you know, how we think about her and how we think about other saints. You should think well of them. But whether you, you know, send your prayers to them is, is sort of another matter. So anyway, for whosoever question that was, that's a very long conversation, though, and shouldn't be, especially for us, should have a bit more nuance because it goes very quickly to disrespect and division. And we want to be careful. I'm very grateful for the saints who have gone before us. You know, I, like, for example, you know, you read these prayers of St. Ephraim who was famous even in his own day for his ability to lyricize prayers. You kind of read and you go, who, who can pray like that? Or you, you think about the disciples, you know, 11 of the 12 of them were martyred. I, you know, this is a remarkable kind of stuff. Or, or modern day saints, people who are put to death in war or in prison camps. You know, 
Maximilian Kolb. He sees a man being taken to the gas chambers in Auschwitz, and he says, I'll go instead, and the guard goes, doesn't make any difference to me, and they take him instead. You kind of go, you know, what kind of person can do that? So, you, you know, we should, we should just be careful. These are our friends and our family in the church, but, you know, how we treat them or what we do, we have to think, it, think carefully about it, but not reactively and not angrily. Doesn't, it just doesn't help. It goes in the wrong direction. Okay, anything else just from last week or any other thing, other question you've got? So here's what we did last week. One of the questions is people normally struggle with praying. What I don't want you to do is feel guilty about that. It's normal. So we sort of began with why is it so hard to pray? And, you know, there are a couple of things with that. One is we get prayer wrong where we think it's just this transaction. If I say a prayer, I'll get something back. That's a very limited, diminished way of thinking about prayer. Of course you express what you need, but prayer is so much broader than that. And, uh, you know, we limit it in that way. So we want to be careful about not limiting it. But the other thing is, is there's this very clear sense of you're, you're poking the devil in the eye when you pray. You tangle up the demons. And if you push against the demons, they always push back. But you comfort yourself with the fact that Jesus cares for you and loves you and and all is well. And then, you know, also for us then, and this was the last thing we did about growing in prayer, that bit from Rowan Williams, you know, we, we tend to go our own way, right? And just real basic stuff, like, you know, the church has always prayed from the time of the Jews, morning and evening, right? Now, I'm not asking about anything, but just ask yourself, do you pray morning and evening? You know, every morning and every evening, something, the sign of the cross in the Lord's Prayer at kind of a minimum. See, what happens is we sort of think, well, that's not working, or I'm too tired, or something else is more important. Part of it is, you know, the reason we just kind of, we just kind of go our own way. So what I'm trying to do is encourage you to say your prayers. First, of course, because Jesus prays and Jesus asks us to pray. But then last week there was this wonderful thing where Jesus doesn't just, the disciples come and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he doesn't just teach them. He actually gives them his own prayer. So Jesus says, you want to know how to pray here? Just say this. And then when you say it, the first thing you say is, my father. And of course, in the prayer, Jesus just didn't give you his prayer. He actually gave you his father. Now you're sister to Jesus. Now you're part of the family. Now you can give God advice. I didn't, one thing I didn't say, which I recalled later was, you know, I talked to you about the ancient world, about how there were, you know, just normal workers, but then friends of the king, people who work in the court, and they could advise, even advocate. One of the interesting things, and this may help you, is once you gave your concern to the king, you couldn't take it back. You see this in Acts once, where Paul is appeals, because he's a citizen, he appeals to the governor, and then there's this kind of back and forth, and, the, and he says, you know, I'm pretty well convinced about this. Yeah, I'd probably stop it if you wouldn't have appealed to Caesar, right? And then off he goes to Rome. He says, oh, you know, you, you sort of went over my head, and I, you know, okay. So once you give, the, and this is very, if you can just think of this in a comforting way, then of course your next question is, well, if I, can I, can I, if I give it to him, can I still watch it? 
you know? Yeah, you can, but try not to take control of it. It's even like your children. In baptism, you give your children to, to Jesus. It's the last prayer. You know, we'll have a baptism tomorrow. Your niece, great niece. Boy, uh, nephew. Hayes. Coming to baptism. The last prayer we'll say is, now that this has become your child. But of course, the parents will still keep an eye on them. And so you, it, it, it all works kind of, it all kind of pulls in the same direction. You see, if you just let these things kind of gently happen. So Jesus loves you and Jesus teaches you to pray. And when he teaches you to pray, he makes you part of the family. And when you're part of the family, you can, it's like sitting around Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody can say what they want. So you get to give your advice. And then somebody in charge uh, says, you know, we'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. And yet you can sort of keep an eye on it. It's this very gentle way of, relieving your soul and yet pushing things forward so that things happen. So I want to, last week we talked about things happening where, Jonathan, you come to me and say, you know, I've got a problem. And then I say to you, come on, I went to pastor school. Don't bother me with that. But you're persistent because you're a good, good boy. And so I have to go to Jesus and get some resources to give them to you. All right, so I'm, I'm the middle man. And in the same way, you all are in the middle too. And you're kind of a bridge between Jesus and other people. So all day long, people ask me to do things I couldn't possibly do, but I can pray for them. I can say, um, Lord, could you take good care of Jonathan? I can say that, and you can say that as well. What's interesting is, I want to take even a little more pressure off you. Grab a Bible and turn to Mark 2. There's a, there's a very interesting little bit here. Because especially in Wheaton, you know, the, there can be this sense of um, you need to tell God exactly what he needs to do for you. But if you're not a good enough boy, if you don't believe hard enough, you might not get it. And if you don't get it, of course, it's because you don't have enough faith. What a sad person you are. Except that's not in the scriptures. Look at this. Mark 2. Jesus went back to Capernaum. And everybody talked about it. Hey, he's back. And many were gathered together, so there was no longer room for them, not even about the door. He was preaching the word to them. So Jesus is, you know, in a room like this, or a small house, or on a rooftop. I mean, he's just, Jesus is just there, and everybody crowds around. You can imagine how this can be. People who are starving, and here's a guy who can make food. People who are sick, and here's a guy who can heal them. You can imagine what, what a, you know, you can imagine what a thing this was. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So these four guys say, our friend can't walk. Jesus might, 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 do, might do him some good. And they could not get near him because of the crowd. Now, I suspect you're often like this. You can see what you need. It's right over there but you can't get there. You can see what you want. It's right there. But I don't, know how I'm gonna, I don't know how I'm gonna move from here to there. So these four guys come. They can't get close because of the crowd. So they remove the roof above him. This was common. You had a hole in the roof that you could cover uh, so the breeze would blow through your house in, in the Middle East. You know, you just, just would, it's, it's, another, it's like you opening a window but it's on the roof. It's, it's, uh, this isn't a weirdness, it's just, they opened the window. And when they'd made an opening, 
they let him down on a pallet on which the paralytic lay. So they just, just drop him down, boop, right in front of Jesus. And then the really great part. So we're trying to get him healed. But look what the text says. When Jesus looked up and saw their faith, so there's four guys looking through a hole in the roof. Jesus looks at them and heals him. Isn't that weird? That isn't how we normally think about it at all. If Alvaro was sick, you would go see him and you'd say, if you're a typical Wheatonite, you'd say, if you could just believe more, if you could just have a good faith, if you could just repent of your sins, if you could get stronger, if you could just, if you could just, 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 just. It's not the story at all. The story is more like if he's sick, you four would come and say, hmm, you're a mess, son. Then you pray to Jesus, and Jesus would look at you four and heal him. It's interesting. It's very hopeful. Now, just if you just think about your life, think about all the people you know who are wounded and damaged. Especially think of, you know, if you will, spiritual paralytics. Think of all the people you know who are unrepentant, who are in pain, who have stopped going to church, who are angry. Just think of all the people you know. The normal way that you would proceed, and this isn't wrong, is that you say to them, come on, Alvaro, you should go to church more than six times a week. And, uh, <laughs> but here Jesus offers another strategy. He just says that you should pray for him. Luther talked about this as piggybacking people to the altar. So I know people, maybe you're one of them, I know people who keep lists of people that they pray for. Uh, even picture books, which if you keep, is much more efficient even than a list of names. If you can in your prayers bring people's faces to mind. It's a b beautiful way to, to, to move through. But when you come to the Eucharist tomorrow, maybe you could bring all the paralytics that you know. Just bring them with you. You can speak their name. I often say to people who serve at the altar, every once in a while you'll get a calm point. I, I always say, pray for your children. Like, pray for your wife. You get, this, you get this moment when you're within two feet of the altar you know, it's not that your prayers are any better than anywhere else, but you're just, you're clearly in the presence of God. Make use of it. In the same way, when you come to the Eucharist tomorrow and you kneel down, you know, of course, prep and confess and ask for what you need. But you might, you know, there's a little extra time before the body and the blood get to you. You might um, bring a few of these spiritually crippled people along and ask Jesus to take care of them. Because that is a very nice reaction. Look what happens after verse 5. When Jesus saw the four guys, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? It's a blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you do that? Why do you question this in your hearts? Which is easier to say? So which is easier, forgiving sins or making somebody walk? 
which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and take up your pallet and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and he took up his pallet immediately and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified by God saying, we never saw anything like this. Remarkable stuff. And also a little sidebar about healings. Uh, you know, a lot of people claim to have the ability of healing and can make you uh, lust for it and even pay for it. In the scriptures, healings are, in the name of Jesus or done by Jesus, immediate and public. So if you don't have that in somebody claiming to be a healer in our day and age, they're still everywhere. Uh, unless that doesn't happen, then you want to, the only one you have in the scriptures where it's not immediate is where the man is blind and Jesus touches him. He says, how, how you see? And he goes, everybody looks like a tree. And Jesus is like, hold on, second dose, boom. Uh, but what seems to be happening is there's Jesus is using the man as a parable because he's, un, he's unraveling uh, the kingdom of God in his teaching. And he's sort of saying it comes in bits and pieces like this. So he seems to be using that healing as a, but otherwise you can just sort of check this. So anyway, um, two things then already for you in your prayers. One is if you don't have the resources, don't despair. Jesus has the resources. You say, Jesus, heal this person or help this person. And he will based on what he knows. And uh, he's got the resources even when you don't. So you let it be his business and he'll take care of it. You give it to him and then you can keep an eye on it, but try not to worry about it, okay? And then the second thing is, we all have friends, children, parents, who have gone off the rails. And we can, A, feel really guilty about that, like the first question, and always remember the sins and the shortcomings. And that's an endless proposition. Or we can say, uh, there's trouble here, Jesus, could you take a look at it? Because um, I really care about this person, he doesn't seem to care about you a whit, but you know what? We love him, and if you would care for him, that would be fabulous, because that's what you want too. So see, you have these two stories already of how you can use this. Make sense? So just think in your prayers, uh, and if you start to think this way, it won't be hard to make long lists of people for whom you pray. You could think of them, I mean, you could, on the drive home, you could name 30 people who have a weakness, have a sin, have a trouble, need help, are just grumpy. It happens, right? Okay, you still good? Then I want to take you to, I mean, there's so many things to talk about, so I don't, I just need to, uh, you know, kind of keep going here. Can you go to, so John, so we're in Mark, so Matthew, Mark, turn to the right, Luke, and then John. And if you can go to John, this is in John 14, 15, and 16. It's three places, but we'll just go to John 14, John 14, 13 to 17. And I want to show you, you know, a thing that is in plain sight, but hardly anybody takes it seriously. I'm always so interested in, you know, we do this too. We, we're so intent on taking the scriptures seriously, but then there's so much in the scriptures that we just kind of don't really pay attention to. So go to John 14. Let me see if it's here. Yeah. 
Go to verse 12. Okay, you ready? So here you go. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me also will do the works that I do. So that's you. You believe in Jesus, so you'll do the works that Jesus does. That's quite a promise. How does that happen? And greater works than these will he do. So Jesus had quite a run here, and then he promises you and the church even more to come. Because I go to the Father. And then this. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now here's the thing, this is technical, this is technical language. Um, I once taught Christology at the seminary, and I taught the entire course from the names of Jesus. There's not a traditional way to teach Christology but it works. So if you think to yourself, um, if you can think of the name like this, if you can think of the name as having content, so there's actually something in the name. This is just kind of sidebar. This is uh, kind of a baseline thing about how magic works as well, that names are powerful. They have content. They do things. Right, but forget about that for a little while, although you might be more familiar with that principle than with praying the names of Jesus. So let's just take, let's just take the name Jesus, okay? Do you remember where Jesus got his name? We just said Christmas time. Do you remember where he gets it? Anybody? Do you remember the text? The angel comes to Joseph and says, when he's born, what does he say? You'll call his name Jesus because... Why? Because he'll save his people from their sins. So if you have sins, or if you need a savior, or if you need forgiveness, then your prayer starts, dear Jesus. I know this seems too simple to be true, right? If you're caught someplace, that you can't get out of. If you've done things and you don't know the way home, Redeemer is a fabulous name for that. Redeemer is, technically means the one who buys back. You begin to think about what all the names of Jesus mean. If you're sick, you might try Great Physician that comes from the text, doubtless you will say, physician, heal yourself, you know, but I say to you, right? So, and you'll notice uh, one of the assignments at the prayers tomorrow, you haven't perhaps noticed this before, but when we go to the altar tomorrow, each kind of petition begins with a different name. So when we pray for the protection of the church, we'll use one name. Lord of the Church, for example. When we pray for the sick, O great physician, right? When we pray for those who, who, who have had uh, friends and family die this week, O Lord and giver of life, wait tomorrow and, and do that. The other thing is, and I think I've told you before, we always pray in eights. 
because eight, as you remember from baptism, is the day of resurrection. That's the day of new creation. So there's this hopeful code even when we pray the names. He'll pray, we'll pray for eight. Do, 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 and boom, stop. And then another eight and another eight when people are sick. Why do we do that? Because we're hopeful that they'll get better. Now, I gave you a sheet that has a gazillion names on it. If you can find the big mega ball winner name, you shouldn't tell that to anybody else. You should come to me, and as your pastor, I will help you with that. Okay? So you want to know why you don't win the lottery? That's because there's no lottery-winning name on here. And if you need an example of how this works, this one that says Dimitri of Rostov, there's a prayer, right? You see this one right here? You guys are scheming over here. If you guys, hey, you can't make up your own names, okay? I just want you guys, you young guys, you always got good ideas. Milena, keep an eye on this group. Do you see the one, it's a prayer as you go on here? So you might say, you know, how does this work in my own life? Oh, sorry, it's like this. I should have better code for this, but you know, these things come and go. Do you see it? It's, it's the last page. This page 17 on the bottom. Do you see it? Has a prayer as you go? No go? You don't have it? Guys, I mean, what is going on over here? I leave you alone for just a second. Everything goes crazy. I can't tell. You got it or no? All right, here we go. Just look, at, look how beautiful this is, right? Yes, it says recessional hymn on the top. Yeah, you're right. You're right, I did say that. I did. Recessional hymn on the top, page 17 on the bottom. Look at this. Come my light and illumine my darkness. You know that name. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome. Come my light, illumine my darkness. Come my life, revive me from death. Come my physician and heal my wounds. Come flame of divine love and burn up the thorns of my sins, kindling my heart with the flame of your love. Come, my king, sit upon the throne of my heart and reign there, for thou alone art my king and my lord. Amen. That prayer will certainly be answered. Everything that's prayed for is prayed for out of one of the names of Jesus. I think they gave up, Carol. So I just want to encourage you, you know, we can't, we can't do, you know, tons of this, but as Jesus takes his name in scripture, you should ask yourself, you'll hear Jesus call different things, right? Rabbi. If you have things to learn, you could use a rabbi. If you don't understand things, oh, rabbi is a great way to teach. I'll press you even a little bit farther. This is the normal way the church prays. Sometimes people find this a bit stiff. But it's actually, and it can be a bit stiff, depending on how it's read. There's another one that looks like this. It says Collect of the Day, and it has big, do you see the big, big print like that? Do you see that? It's, uh, it doesn't have a page number on the bottom, but it has a long piece down the side. That's it right there, beautiful. The church doesn't just sort of make it up as it goes along. In church on Sunday morning, there's actually a form. Now you will say, you know, what sort of crazy people would make up a form like that? And I would say to you, the kind of 
crazy people in Acts 4 and 2 Kings 19. You can go look this up later if you want. But this is a classic way of praying in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You say the name, then you say what's in the name, and then you say what you need, and then you thank God for listening. Tomorrow, Pastor Vitt will play the collect at the last service. The very first prayer we pray every week is structured in just this way. And it follows from St. Augustine too, O Lord, you, so we, I don't say, Oh Lord, I'm just so good, such a good boy, and you know, I know Manny, and Manny's a good boy too, and the two of us go, no, it's like, oh Lord, you, and then here's what we need. So this classic thing, gracious God, our heavenly Father, your mercy attends us all our days. So this is what you say to your Father, Father, you're merciful. And you can hear yourself saying this to your own Father if you have a good Father. Father, you're very merciful. Be my strength and support. Right, help me. Father, you're merciful. Help me. Because the world is changing and it's wearing me down among the wearisome changes of this world. And at life's end, grant us your promised rest and full joy. See me through, like see me through to the end. Right, the world is a hard place. Father, you're merciful. I'm tired. Help me. It's just a classic prayer form that is in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's a regular prayer that, I mean, prayers have, been, prayers have been structured this way for 3,000 years. Other prayers are completely fine. They're completely fine. But something like this keeps you from the I want a pony, I want a pony, right? This is your defense against I want a pony prayers. So anyway, just sort of think about that. How are you doing? You still doing okay? I know this is a lot to, to kind of um, hold on to, but do you have particular questions? Because after today, I'm not going to come, but I still have a thousand things to talk about in terms of your prayers. Do you have particular questions? Are you okay? Anybody? You all right? Yes, friend. So when you pray, and you pray for something in particular, and you keep praying for that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you keep praying? It's good for you. If you don't pray, you'll worry. I mean, not you, but these other people. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the other people, they'll be... Because you have a spiritual need, a psychic need, right? You have a pain, you have an irritation. There's something that you care desperately about. Your kids, your job, your house, your church, your parents, the world. Pick something. If you keep that bottled up inside, you're going to explode. Fortunately, you don't have to keep it bottled up inside. God loves you and he cares for you and he'll take care of it. Go ahead. Rebuttal. It makes me think. Yes. That there's a lack of faith that God has if you have to keep saying. I would only be if you think you know how fast and in what direction God should move. You think God should go, no, he did this. You're thinking, he's clearly going this way. No, sometimes he does this and he's in that direction. So let him work out the answers. You can have the needs and he can have the answers. You'll make a perfect combination, the two of you. It'll be fabulous.
You might be a bit impatient. I am. Uh, there's some things I would like to have by noon today, frankly. <laughs> frankly, many of them have to do with you lot. But, uh, <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, right? You have some things that you'd like worked out by 10 a.m. this Saturday, the 3rd of February, 2024. <laughs> chop, chop. Tranquilo. I just sort of, it's God's, your, your job is to ask, God's job is to answer. Right, and you can be patient yes. without bringing that petition to him again. You can be, uh, but I, um, yeah, I mean, this is like the man who loved his wife so much he almost told her. <laughs> you know, you, you, you sort of want to go ahead and express this, Mr. Snad, yes. I, I look at it kind of, I think you were trying to touch on it just there, like if you told your spouse or your child, I love you, would you never need to tell them again because they now know that you love them? No, you want to keep telling them over and over again, um, whatever the, the emotion is. Um, and it's not because they didn't hear you, it's not because they don't believe you, it's not because they're not listening, but you want to, you, you want to keep that cushion open. On our prayer list every Sunday, we pray for the same, a right. lot of the same names right. over and over. I can't uh, yeah, sort of the rule for the prayer zone, you get spoken at the altar for four weeks, and then you go into the, um, take these prayers home and pray for people for four weeks. And then you have to call us back, because otherwise what happens is we're still watching them, but maybe you're not. The other thing is, is we don't have time to make 25 phone calls to figure out, ah, no, I'm completely through rehab, my knee is fabulous, why do you ask? Because we're still praying for your broken knee, so... You know. Path, yes. Um, the other thing is, Jesus asked us to pray. He did. And that's part of obedience, so we should yeah. be praying anyway. Yeah, like so many things, just doing what we're asked to do is good for us. We don't, we don't take that very well, although I wish we did better with it. There are a lot of things that just, you just get better and better. <laughs> As I've told you, what's the difference between Jesus and everybody else? Jesus does what he's told. It's a singular difference between Jesus and everybody else. Jesus does what he's told. You don't do what you're told, nor do I. But Jesus does, all the way to the cross, into resurrection. Quite remarkable. Question? No, I was going to say, uh, like some things are worth repeating. <laughs> that is genius. That's a, some things are worth repeating. Um, like. Every day is a new beginning. So if you're praying for protection. Yes. And you're leaving the house. Right. You're going to pray for protection. Yes. And tomorrow, I can't allow yesterday's pray for protection. I could. Right. But right. I, I want to repeat that because it's, it's my guide kind of. Yes. For that new day. Yes, agreed. That's brilliant. This is the same way John Kleinig always says, we don't possess the Holy Spirit, but we receive it. So we pray for the Holy Spirit every day. You don't kind of depend on yesterday's stuff. It's, it's a, that's a brilliant way to say it. Today is a resurrection. It's a new day. Pay attention to it. Three quick things, but I'm not exactly going to go through them too far. 
praying goes with staying awake and being thankful. And I've given you a couple of texts here. We don't, if you have this, you'd still have this, this was the thing from last week. Kind of just the, you know, this says, at the top it says, hey, we're going through Lent. In the middle, I, we don't, I don't want to take the time, or I, I won't have the time to do these two, but it's a classic. So it's the one that says Colossians 4.2, stay awake or stay the course. Classic, can you look up Colossians 4.2 for me really quickly? In the history of the church, I mean from the New Testament, of course, staying awake is, goes with goes with praying. So Colossians 4.2, stay awake, stay alert. The devil's prowling around seeking to devour you. Stay awake. So staying awake goes with praying, and that would actually go with both of the things that you said. Stay awake today, pay attention today. Today's a new day, here we go, stay awake. And the other thing is giving thanks. Regularly in Paul's epistles, he begins by saying, I pray for you and remember you with thanksgiving. And sometimes he ends by saying, I give thanks to God for you. Praying and thanking go together. And I gave you, for example, Psalm 103, maybe you can read it today or later in your devotions, of all the things to be thankful for. Many times when our prayer lives get stuffed up, when our prayer lives get kinked, it's because we are feeling sorry for ourselves and we've forgotten all the great things that God has done for us. So these are kind of cures. These are little diagnostic cures, which one is, you know, you want to say, hey, you want to just get a little shake and say, hey, wake up, stay awake, look at the world around you. And when you look at the world around you, you see all the things for which you are thankful. You think about your children and you think about their troubles, but remember all the times they've been a blessing to you. You think about your spouse and you think about where they've let you down, but remember all the times where they've cared for you. You think about your family, you think about your church, you think about your job. All these things, it easily comes, the negative comes easily to us where things have gone poorly. But of course, the other side of that is all the places where things have gone uh, well. John Kleinig once said to me, you know, billions and billions of things have happened to you. And, you know, and all these billions and billions of things have happened to you that are so wonderful. And you asked me about this. Well, that's what I was concerned about. But he said, you know, it was a good balance. You have to think about the billions and billions of things the Lord has given you. So staying awake and being thankful go with that. But then I want to just close with this last bit. If you can turn to um, Ephesians 6.10. So keep going to the right. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Acts, Romans. Keep going. First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Help your, the person with you uh, who's next to you. And the, I've, as I've put on the sheet here in front of you, you know, the, the, the point I want to make for you is not to give ground, not to give up. So you have to have a little, you have to have a little bit of Roman military history to understand this text. Uh, at least just Paul, you would have understood this, everybody would have understood this the way you understand enough about American military right now to, you know, you'd understand. So basically it works like this. As the Roman Empire expanded, there were two kinds of soldiers. There were the Marines. They were young and strong and famous and bold. And they would shoot ahead and slay the enemy and secure the land. 
Behind them would come the sentries who were completely defensive. They would come and stand at the border where the Marines had taken the land. So two kinds of people. First are the aggressors. Forward they go, young, strong, on offense. And behind them came the sentries whose primary job was defense. You're going to see in a moment that St. Paul tells you that your prayers are sentry duty. Now, just because they weren't um, young and strong and famous and in the newspaper, you shouldn't think that the sentries weren't important. In fact, if you fell asleep on sentry duty, it was a capital crime. You could be executed for falling asleep on your post. Serious business, right? And a sentry would never move forward to attack. That would be to leave the safe place which he was meant to defend. In fact, he would only engage the enemy if the enemy attacked him. And so, now stay awake becomes more critical because during the day it's not such a big deal, but at night things get quiet and dark and sleepy. So there are four watches in the night, 6, 9, 12, 3, or 9, 12, 6, 3, 3, 6. Usually in the last watch, that's when attacks would come. People would be kind of relaxed, off their guard, maybe sleepy. So you read that in context with, that you have to read this text in that context, because that's the context that Paul is giving to you. So this is for you now as a normal Christian. You're not, you know, you know, Billy Graham is the Marine guy. <laughs> You're here at St. John, just, you know, hold Wheaton, okay? Can you do that? Finally be strong in the Lord. Now this isn't just like, hey, you know, this is like, no. Stay strong, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So you don't have anything except what your Lord, think about the name, Lord and Master, Lord, Master, King, Lord, Master, King, God. You only have the strength that has been given to you. So use it. Put on the whole armor of God. Look, here's borrowing again. So he doesn't say, why don't you conjure up some way to protect yourself? Why don't you figure out how to pray? Why don't you get really good at defending yourself? Why don't you make something up? The church is just making it up as you go along. It's not making it up as you go along. All right, here it is. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able, and there it is, to stand against the devil, to hold the border. He's going to say this again and again. Your job is to stand still. Your job is to stand strong. Your job is to stand and pay attention. Your job is to stand and be on guard. Your job is to stand and be thankful. Your job is to hold the line so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's coming for you. The devil's coming for you. Don't be surprised. He wants his land back. For we're not contending against flesh and blood. That would be easy. But against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of the present darkness. So principalities and powers are different ranks of angels, right? So these are different kinds of troops, army, navy, air force, marines. So you're against the principalities, the powers, the world rulers of this present day, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's who's coming for you. All different kinds of demons. Therefore, 
take the whole armor of God. So you're not surprised, you know, get dressed. Every day, new day, get dressed. Here we go, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Whatever day finally comes and the attack comes, and you know this, you're normally not attacked every day, it ebbs and flows. You're attacked, you're attacked. Satan gets discouraged, goes away, looks for another place, attacked, attacked, right? This is your normal. I did this with a sine wave a week or two ago. It's your normal life. It's going to be periods of war, periods of rest. Pay attention in between. And having done all to stand, stay put, don't fall asleep, hold the line. Again, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth, so you're wrapped up in truth. Now, this is what the Lord gives you. He gives you true things, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, so this protects all your internal organs, the places where you take a bad blow. A breastplate, you know, sort of covers your strike zone. It just keeps you from, from being wounded. Having shod your feet with the gospel of peace, so you move through the world peacefully but confidently, knowing that the gospel protects you. Besides all these, take the shield of faith. You know, classically a shield was held to what? Either arrows or sword. So you move it according to the direction from which the temptation comes. So you know, so this time it's money and next time it's gossip and next time it's spiritual darkness, right? You, you're able to kind of deflect these things as they come at you with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, got to protect the brain box, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, there's a particular kind of sword, interestingly. You're used to seeing maybe huge swords, you know, very famous. Those are the Marines. This is a short sword, more like a dagger, and it's, in, it's for close work. I had a friend who used to keep a horseshoe under his the car, the driver's seat in his car, just in case he might get in any trouble. He found it particularly, I'm sorry, I don't know. This is signs of a misspent youth. Anyway, uh, this is a short, like, this is close in, close battle. You know, it's 18 inches long, broader word in prayer. So, you know, you've got all you need. You, you've got your feet covered, and you've got your... Um, Everything wrapped up with truth. You know, when he says covers your loins, this is kind of talked about as a belt, right? That this sort of, like, you know, all your floppy clothes are pulled tight. You're protected from here to here. You're protected over your head. You've got something to be able to move around and something to defend yourself. Word and prayer. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Right? So say your prayers. Pray at all times. And we talked about this long prayers, but also you should have a short prayer that you can pull out on the spur of the moment or that keeps your mind, that keeps your mouth going. I told you about Mount Athos last week, right? Did I tell you about Mount Athos? In 60 Minutes, did I tell you that story? Okay, quick story. I was watching 60 Minutes one, one night, you know, back when 60 Minutes mattered, and um, it was so interesting because they were interviewing the, the, the abbot of Mount Athos. You know, Mount Athos, this famous Orthodox monastery, no women can go on Mount Athos, not even uh, female animals, right? It's an old boys club. And, you know, you go there if you want to be, you know, super Greek and super... I have some friends who've gone, you know. Protestants, they don't take in. They take 12 or 15 a day. And you can, you can take the boat over and you can stand in line. And if not enough Greeks show up, then you can go in. It's kind of a long, kind of a long, uh, 
I don't know. Anyway, you see all these guys and they're, they're, they're picking apples and they're, you know, raking things, but their lips are moving. They're saying a prayer like the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. The first step is to say it 10,000 times a day. And you, the whole thing is pray without ceasing. Here means you're constantly in prayer. So, and you, you of course, what happens then is you, you sort of say it so much that it's kind of absorbed into your breathing. It's in the So this guy, I can't remember, I think it was Morley Safer, interviewing this ab, and he says, um, I, I walk around, I see all these people, their lips are moving. He says, well, of course, they pray without ceasing. And he says to the abbot, he says, but you're not praying. And the abbot goes, how do you know? <laughs> like, beauty. I was like, he, stepped, uh, he had stepped into deep water. How do you know? So anyway, pray all the time. That's for you too. You should have a short prayer. You know, there's throughout the history of the church, we did this in COVID here. You remember we did this over, if you were tuned in, we over COVID when we did, you know, remember we did a series of short prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I'm here. O blood of, O precious blood of Jesus, save us in the whole world. Classic prayer of those who honor the wounded heart of Jesus. You should have a go-to prayer that's two or three words. You can shape it how you want. You can steal one from somebody else, but you should have something to say, you know, 50 or 100 times while you're waiting for the train to pick you up. It's good for you, right? It holds your ground. It hallows the place. It tangles the demons. It asks Jesus to be involved in your life. It gives you hope. It makes you alive. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, things you need. To that end, stay alert, stay awake. See, prayer goes with staying awake. With all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Pray for me. Would you pray for me? Pray for the church. Pray also for me that utterance may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I declare boldly so as I ought to speak. So this is your life. And if you, need, if you need help, every week in the bulletin, there are prayers at the beginning, prayers at the end, prayers around the Eucharist, and often prayers on the side, as well as the prayers that are in the middle. There's plenty of stuff. If you just take the bulletin home, there's plenty there. I brought some other prayer books that are around somewhere, different things. Um, you know, if you, need, if you need an idea for a prayer book, I can help you, you know, find something. But I've tend to use prayer books for about 10 years at a time. I once, I once said, you know, the guy who was really my, it's kind of unbelievable now, but, and thanks for Kirby being a good sport, the man who became, you know, my spiritual guide, I didn't disagree with him for the first 10 years I knew him. I didn't say no to him for the first 10 years I knew him. I just did everything he asked me to do, including we moved to Europe two or three times, right? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, we just, you know, you can't, oh yeah, public about it's good for you. I should say it over and over again. Uh, you, know, you know, the thing is, is you, you know, if you can only stay at this till noon, it's, uh, it'll have about 119 minutes of, a, of effect. These are the sorts of things that have developed over years and decades. Just, you know, just stay with it. You know, just keep, just stay with it. With thanks, stay awake. With prayer, stand your ground, stay awake. Borrow what you need, ask for what you need, stay awake, pray like you're a child of God, pray like you're an advisor to the king, pray like you're a friend. Just keep going, just, just keep going. 
There's, stop worrying so much about getting what you want. Stop wondering whether or not it worked. The last line on this first page is the very best thing I know about prayer. St. Bernard of Clairvaux. When you pray, God will give you what you ask or something better. That's the most beautiful thing, right? When you pray, God will give you what you ask or something better. And that's, that's pure faith. So now you're all the way back to being a Lutheran. All right, I'll see you next week, and then we won't see you the week after. But let's pray. Stick around if you want to chat. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you. Good to see you.